hear the word of God from a selection of passages in Genesis, where Jacob encounters God, and you can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba, and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching up to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it all stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is this in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? There's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, as I am make, taking and I will give my, me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be my God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. Chapter 32, starting with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of Jabok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose up above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, 
the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there, and build an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to everybody that was with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods, and they had the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out. And the terror of God fell on the towns all around them, so that nobody pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and was buried under the oak outside Bethel. So it was named Along Bakuth. After Jacob returned to Paddan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at the place where he had talked with him. Jacob set up a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob called the place where God had talked with him, Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Another long passage for a long book, Genesis. It's good to hear the word of God proclaimed. I'm going to bring up some of my props, but I'm leaving one of them down there, so don't look at it. Don't cheat. All right. So, actually, I'll put this prop here. All right, well, welcome. Good morning. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here at Waypoint Church. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, worshiping with you. Our senior pastor, Pastor Lawrence, is recovering from emergency back surgery that he had this past Thursday. He's doing well. He just needs to rest, and uh, his wife, Gina, and his two boys are with, with him at home. So we're going to continue to pray for him and his family during their recovery time. We're in a sermon series looking at the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We started in January, and we're finishing up Genesis this ne next, next Sunday. We'll talk about Joseph and transition to Exodus. So it's been a long journey through Genesis. It's an important foundational, it's the foundational book of our faith. Um, we're reading the, the Bible together as a church community. We're studying and meditating on it, and we're processing God's Word together as a local church. We're not afraid. We, we want to deal with the hard stories, too. And that was 
the main point of last week's sermon. There's a lot of hard stuff in Genesis, but there's a lot of, but it's filled with the grace and the covenant faithfulness of God. So we're meditating, we're processing God's work together as a local church, and we're trusting God that He will use this in our lives, that we can understand Him more and fall more in love with Him. So that's, that's what we're doing as we study God's Word. And we normally go back and forth. We study the Old Testament and then the New Testament. So we're, but we're going to be in the Old Testament for a long time. And uh, let's journey together. So now I want to start this sermon with a question. Um, does anybody know what's the most popular boy's name in America this century? So the this century is now 18 years old. Any guesses? Jacob. Uh, here's, a, here's a fact. More baby boys in America were named, born were named Jacob in one month in 2003 than in the entire decade of the 1960s. Chew on that. More, more baby boys in America were named Jacob in one month in 2003 than the whole decade of the 60s. So Jacob all of a sudden became a popular name. Here's a list for, to distract you guys. I won't distract you for too long. Now, Michael was the king of names 44 out of 43 out of 44 years. One year David had it in like the 70s or something. Michael was the 44-year reigning king uh, until Jacob supplanted it. Little joke. All right. I'll, I'll explain that later. So what does Jacob mean? Jacob means... The one who supplants. This is actually like one of those Pinterest type things. So a lot of times, you know, you put the plaque up on the wall and it's like Sarah, princess, you know, Daniel, you know, God is judge. Uh, what are some other names? Liam means mighty warrior. Eric means king. And the, the poor Jacob on his wall, it says this, you know, he who supplants. Some of them try to make it a little better. Let's see what we got. This one, I have no idea. They just said visionary, clever, warm-hearted, dreamer, I guess because of the dream of the staircase. Whoever made this one just kind of made it up. That's not what Jacob means. This is the best one, you know, meaning holds the heel. You know, like well, the guy who holds the heel. The, the, and actually holding the heel is the Hebrew idiom for deceiver. So... Um, so what is a supplanter? I didn't really know what that word meant. This is the dictionary definition. Uh, one who wrongfully or illegally seizes and holds the place of another. That's a fun name. <laughs> uh, so the NIV footnote states that Jacob means he grasps the heel, which is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. Uh, so that's Jacob. Does anybody know what the name Michael means, which was the, the long-term winner? for a long time. It's a Hebrew word. It's, from, it's Mikhail in Hebrew, and it, it means who is like God. And you know, anytime a, word, a name ends in L, it's, it has something to do with God. Rachel, Daniel, Michael, Nathaniel. Uh, Noah it actually passed Jacob in 2012. Anybody know what Noah means? It means to rest or to settle down or to bring comfort. So Noah takes over, and then Liam take the, took over Noah like two years ago. So just in case you're wondering. Um, there are actually people online who study this. There's whole articles written about this. I found this, this quote online on a major news channel. 
It says, you compare Jacob with all its hard, punchy consonants versus Noah and Liam, and you can really see where name style is heading. So just... <laughs> so now back to Jacob. I, I had to lighten it up a little bit, right? The Jacob story is hard to read. We, we, there's, what, we, what James just read was the... Uh, and actually, James is the same name as Jacob, which is interesting. I have no idea how, and in the English language, we get, we get Jacob, James from Jacob. For my Spanish speakers, right? Isn't it Santiago, right? Yeah. So, so Jacob actually read to us this morning. Um, but we're going to move on and, and just see how, how does this supplanter, this guy who grabs the foot, this deceiver from Genesis. And I wanna answer, we're going to answer four questions. Who is he? What is God doing in the, in the story? The first one is, who is Jacob, and why does God change his name to Israel? The second thing we're going to look at is, why is the deceiver, supplanter, heel grabber blessed? And the third one is, what does it mean that Jacob wrestled with God? And the fourth and final thing we're going to look at this morning is, why is this good news for us? So question one, who is Jacob, and why does God change his name to Israel? So I'm going to give a quick summary of Genesis 12 through 38 so we can recap how we got to this point. But before we start, I realize for many of you who have been reading through Genesis and our women's Bible study, they've actually been going through it for what, about, you're probably on seven, eight months. And then for those doing the Bible reading plan, many of you are not very fond of Jacob. You guys are more likely to name your son Joseph or Michael or Shadrach or Meshach or Melchizedek or some other Old Testament good guy, right? No, seriously, before we start, I want to remind us of three things. In this account, God is the hero, not Jacob. Actually, everywhere in the Bible, God is the hero, not the person God is using. David is not the hero in, David, in the David and Goliath story. God is. God uses David's faithfulness, but God is the hero. So remember, as I'm summarizing the account of Jacob, Jacob's not a hero. God is. Two, Jacob and his family were still figuring out the revelation of God. And at the time, they're still dabbling in the religion and idols of the land that they live in. Remember, God calls Abraham and his family out of Ur, and they're worshiping the local gods. That's all they knew. In the account, there are still idols in their midst. We just read chapter 35, um, and that's when Jacob finally gets rid of the idols in his household. The passage where it said, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourself and change your clothes. And then when they get to Bethel, he actually buries them under the oak in Shechem. So we see that Jacob is finally getting rid of the household idols and he starts more fully trusting into this God who revealed himself to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac. So that's the second thing we need to have in our background, in our midst as we're hearing this story. The third one, and this is really important, this account was given to the people by Moses after the Exodus. This is really important. The people are hearing this story in hindsight, after seeing the victory of God to bring them out of bondage in Egypt. And how do they even get to Egypt? Because Jacob's son, Joseph, and because of God's, God's grace gets them to Egypt, and God's grace gets them out of Egypt. The narrative is to give an accurate and not whitewashed account of how God provided Abraham's descendants against all odds and in spite of human effort and human sinfulness that seemingly could have stopped the plan of God. 
Jacob's deceitful actions are not, are not to be admired or replicated, but God's covenant faithfulness is to be celebrated. That's what the story of Jacob's about. This is similar to how we, as followers of Jesus, after the, af sorry, after the, re uh, the resurrection, are not to intimidate all of Peter's actions. But we can see God's perfect plan to make Simon, name would be Simeon, the disciple who's all over the place, the disciple whose devotion to Jesus is up and down, the disciple who cuts the soldier's ear off, the disciple who denies Jesus three times, to Peter the rock. There's only two major significant name changes. I mean, Abraham and Sarah are significant, but there's two of these pivotal name changes. One is Jacob to Israel. The other one is, is Simon to Peter. Israel becomes the nation. Peter is the rock that the church is built on. We're not to imitate Peter's denial of Christ, but post-resurrection, Peter's a changed man. Post-Exodus, they, they can see God's faithfulness. And we can see God's faithfulness because we're looking at all of this through the resurrection. We're looking at this through the Exodus and God's faithfulness to his covenant people. And we're looking at this continuation of, the, of his faithfulness through the Exodus. So let's look at the Jacob account. So what I did is I grabbed the Gospel Story Bible real quick. So this is actually what our children's ministry uses. And it's interesting. It's called the Gospel Story Bible. But on the front, the picture they chose to use is Jacob's dream of heaven. Uh, it's pretty cool. So if we, if we look at the Genesis story, we get to Abraham and, and God, um, God makes a promise to Abram. And then it says God makes a covenant with Abram. Then we get to God gives Abram a new name and gives Sarah a new name. Then the Lord appears to Abraham. And he's, these promise of descendants and nations. And then the account in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham has, Abraham has these two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. One son because he took matters into his own hand and the other son because God provided. Then Abraham is tested with, with Isaac. And, and uh, we preached on this, Eric preached on this a couple, or Lawrence preached on it, right, a couple weeks ago. And God, then God provides a wife for Isaac. And then there's this struggle between the sons, Jacob and Esau. And we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And then, and then Jacob deceives his father and gets the blessing. And then we get to where we are right now. And there's this dream, the story of where, where Jacob has his vision and the stairway to heaven. And interesting is, is the word Babel sounds like gate of God. And the tower that they tried to build at Babel is a stairway to heaven. So God redeems that story multiple times in Scripture, but he redeems it here showing Jacob the correct way to think about access to God, the access that they lost in the garden. Babel sounds like gate of God in the original language, and Bethel is the gate of heaven. So you can see how God is redeeming the sinfulness and the brokenness. The, this Bible, actually, it's, it's really cool. It brings up the fact that Jesus himself says that he's the stairway that leads to heaven. Let's look at John 1.51. It says, then he says, this is Jesus, I tell you the truth, you will see all heaven open and the angels of God coming up and down on the Son of Man. 
who is the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. See the, the imagery going back to Jacob's original dream that God gave him is fulfilled in Christ. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus told them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So that's a brief recap, um, Jacob's dream. Then there's this crazy story about how Jacob gets his first wife and his second wife. The deceiver is deceiving, and then he gets deceived by his father-in-law. It's, it's a lot of deception, a lot of... But God is using all of this to get 12 descendants. You can see God's faithfulness in all of this. Now there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of favoritism. It's basically a big soap opera. And it's not, a, it's not a good thing. But God is good and God is working through this story. And then there's even a story about Jacob and Laban and, and spotted goats. And I know our, the spotted goat story is really important to our youth group, I've heard. They have quotes about it or something. What's the quote? Sometimes you just need the good goats. I have no idea, but you, if you want to get involved in our Waypoint Youth Ministry, you can learn what that quote means. They, they, that's one of their mottos that they came from learning this story. Sometimes you need the good goats. Then Jacob wrestles with God. And then he comes back to Bethel. Um, so why is the deceiver... Why is the supplanter, why is the heel grabber, why is he blessed? Because God is faithful to his promise to Abraham. Jacob's life is not generally one of virtue or righteous living, but God was always faithful and reconfirmed his covenant with Jacob many, many times. Think about the three accounts that we read this morning. Jacob's dream at Bethel, Genesis 28. Jacob wrestling with God at Peniel, Genesis 32 and Jacob's return to Bethel. Compare those accounts with Jacob's deception toward his dad, his brother, his encounters with Laban and Leah and Rachel and their maidservants, and how he improperly handles the rape of his daughter Dinah, which is a story we actually, the account we looked at last week. So compare that to these, God meeting him. Compare Jacob's actions to what, what happens, God's faithful pursuit of Jacob. In Genesis 28, we read, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is after the dream. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it, as a pillar, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel. The city uh, used to be called something else. And he said, God will be with me over this journey. So he's beginning to trust God, but he's not fully trusting God. Because the stuff that hap happens after this shows that he kind of trusts God, but he doesn't fully trust God. So how does this guy who encounters God in this way and even wrestles with God in chapter 32 settle in Shechem and not Bethel and allow his family to continue in idolatry and when it says idols, they're probably these little, like, maybe like chess pieces. And they'd have a bunch of them, and they'd lay them out. They'd put them in their tent or wherever. And they would think that the spirit of the actual god or gods would live in those little pieces. So they had collections of them. So how does this guy who has these encounters with God continue to live 
far from God. And if, I wanna, if we did this last week, but if we think about this stage as a map, so let's think this is Haran right here. So this is where Laban's family is. And way out there, wave to me, you guys are in Ur over there. That's where Abraham's father actually started. And they get to here, they're supposed to go there to Canaan, but they get to here and they settle. And then this is where Isaac's and Rachel's family, this is where they settle. And then over here is Bethel on the way. But then over here is Shechem, the city where a lot of the trouble happens. The city that actually, the place that's actually redeemed when Jesus meets the woman at the well. He actually meets her here. And then over here is uh, Beersheba, where Isaac was. So you, you can imagine the journey and, and the different places. But Bethel's where Jacob's supposed to be. This is where he meets God. Now, I... I they, they actually dump the idols here in Shechem, but they're supposed to be here in Bethel. So I'll stand in Bethel for the sermon because I'm supposed to be here, right? Um, so if we really want to answer this question, why is the deceiver, the supplanter, the heel grabber blessed? There's only one answer. And I've said this probably four times in the sermon already. Because of God's covenant faithfulness, not because of anything Jacob did. God had a plan to save his people through the descendants of Jacob, despite Jacob's shortcomings, failures, and sinfulness. God was faithful to his plan through Jacob and even used Jacob's shortcomings, failures, and sinfulness to provide 12 offspring who become the 12 tribes of Israel. Interesting, Jesus picks 12 too. One of them betrays him, the ragtag bunch, and he uses them to build his church. God's covenant faithfulness to save his people will prevail. And that's good news for us. So what's the good news? But that's point four, but we're, we're not going to jump ahead to point four. We're going to look at point three. So what does this mean that Re Jacob wrestled or struggled with God? So how do we get to this wrestling account? And when you think of wrestling, what do you think of? Do you think of this? I'm going to call my son up for some props. Do you think of this? Actually, Pastor Lawrence had this in his office. Somebody from Waypoint gave him this because of something he said in a sermon. So um, when I was a kid, oh, props. Friday night, the youth group's going to have this awesome event <laughs> called Friday Night Live. And the skits will be way better than what you just saw. Okay. Come Friday night and, and so support our youth group. That's in my notes. I had to say that because I really, I love what they're doing. So when I was a kid, I remembered the day. I literally can remember the day when I was at a friend's house and they're like, you've never heard of Hulk Hogan? I was in second grade. They're like, you've never heard of Hulk Hogan? He's awesome. He's this guy and he does wrestling. And, and then all of a sudden I started watching WCW and WWF. Back then it was a little more kid friendly. I think now it's it's totally not good friendly, but so, so WCW and WWF and Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and, and the, you know, all these wrestlers, the Ultimate Warrior, they were, they were part of my life. And every time we lived in Florida and Georgia, so like we had pools in the neighborhood. And every time we were in the pool, what we would do is replicate and do the wrestling of the, you know, these, these wrestlers. And I thought wrestling was awesome. And, uh, I thought I was an expert on wrestling because I could do it in the pool with my friends. Then I remember in middle school, we had a wrestling unit in PE class. I don't know if they still do this, but we had to like do the real Olympic wrestling. Holy cow, that's really hard. 
Like you can last for like a minute and 30 seconds against a strong person and, and fall apart. So, you know, but that's, is that the wrestling that this is talking about? I don't think so. Um, so why does this obscure but important passage about Jacob wrestling with God, like why is this here? What does this mean? And why in this account does God change his name to Israel? So we're going to look a little more closely at this account. So that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And notice that the name of this stream sounds like Jacob. And Hebrew scholars notice that. Uh, After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob uh, was left alone. And I want us to think about where this is. So it's kind of up here. So they have to cross the Jordan River. So when you cross it to get on the path to go to Haran or to come back, they're coming back from, uh, actually, they're over here. Sorry. They, they, they have to find a narrow place of the river to cross. Well, the family goes on and Jacob stays here. So Jacob is alone at night on, on one side of the, of the bank. And um, it says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The Hebrew word translated wrestle or struggle here is a variant of the word Jacob. So one commentator states that upon hearing it in Hebrew from the original hearers, they would have heard it something like this. Jacob, Jacob's with God at a place called Jabbok. So we don't get that in English, but that, that's kind of what, how the essence of what it was. And remember, Jacob is the heel grabber. He was wrestling in the womb with his twin brother. The guy must be, uh, you know, ready to go. But it seems like, you know, Esau's the guy who hunts and Jacob's the guy at home. So somehow Jacob is, is, is the fighter. There's a lot of fight in him. What do they say? There's a lot of fight in this dog. You know, there's a lot of fight in Jacob. He's been wrestling with who his whole life? His father, his brothers, his brother, his father-in-law, his wives, just about everybody else. And he's been wrestling with God his whole life. Remember, he, the first Bethel account, he should have come back there, but he doesn't come back there. He settles in Shechem. And that's what we talked about last week. And that led to a lot of problems. He, he's always wrestling with, should I do what I know I should do and follow God? Or do I do what I feel like I should do? So that's Jacob, the wrestler, the heel grabber. When the man saw he could not overpower him, wait, Wait, let's think about this. When the man, God could not overpower a human? This seems a little weird. What does this mean? One commentator states this, humbling himself, God has come to Jacob on some type of even terms. Jacob again, but Jacob still displays incredible strength. So obviously if God sends an angel, God could beat us in a wrestling match. So God humbles himself and allows it to happen. When I was when my boys were smaller, they're, they're getting bigger now, a lot bigger. We used to wrestle a lot. We'd have these wrestling matches on our bed, on my bed. And basically there'd be three of us and you, you'd lose the first, per, the last man standing gets the point. So the goal is to throw the other two people off the bed. <laughs> we did this up until what, about two years ago? And then they got, they got too big and the two of them could easily take me. But when they were little, I purposely would sometimes fall off the bed because I wanted them to feel part of the competition. I was lowering my, you know, athletic ability so that 
uh, a four and a six-year-old could actually hang with me. And in a sense, that's what God's doing here with Jacob. He could, because all he has to do is a little touch and he can break his hip. So God is humbling himself. And if you look throughout the Bible, God continues to humble himself to relate to us. So he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. Now, Jacob's is wrestling with an angel that represents God in human form. And Jacob is winning. And the match supposedly lasts all night. So I don't, I don't think either Hulk Hogan or Nacho Libre could wrestle all night. So what's, what's going on here? The passage is, is short and is intentionally vague about the details of the wrestling event. My guess is that it was a series of short wrestling matches that went on throughout the night. That Jacob would go back. And, and he, he had all this pinned up anger. And initially, he didn't even know who the man was. He just has this pinned-up anger. Any of you ever have that? You, like, you wrestle with God, and you go take a break, and then you wrestle again? I, I mean, it would be humanly impossible for Jacob to just go all night. Like, I, don't, I think even an Olympic wrestler can only go for 20, 30 minutes, probably. Um, but somehow, this, this event happens all night. And now remember, the goal is to teach us about God and his plan for Jacob and not give us a play-by-play -play of the fight. The goal is to show how God transforms the deceiver, supplanter, heel-grabbing Jacob to Israel. Remember the angel God-man initiates the wrestling match. God initiates it. I don't have time this, this morning to go into detail on what the angel is or how the angel represents God in human form. I will post something on the Realm, which is our church's uh, online portal with some more information of this. It's, it's worth studying this. Sometimes there's the angel of the Lord meets humans. Sometimes there's accounts like this. It's, it's worth studying, but I, I can't really go into it this morning. But we believe that Jacob did this. Jacob actually, God met him and he physically wrestled with God. So Jacob had to wrestle with God. It was part of his sanctification and was setting the stage for the next phase of the redemptive history of God's people based on the covenant promise that God made to Abraham to make his descendants into a great nation, the nation of Israel. This is how God did it. God did it through the brokenness. And then the account goes on. It says, but Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Jacob literally answers. He says, what's your name? And he's like, deceiver. Because that's, that's what it meant. Then the man says, your name will no longer be Jacob. It will no longer be deceiver, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. He changes his name to Israel. He's no longer the supplanting deceiver. The blessing that Jacob asked for was given through the name change. It was a status change. It was a fulfillment of the promise, but it was, a, it was a name change. He doesn't bless him in another way in this account. Jacob says to him, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. God does not tell Jacob his name at this time, but God does reveal his name to Moses about 300 years later. That sermon will be in two weeks. Look forward to that. It's an amazing account about when Moses says, what's, what's your name? When they ask, what's, what's his name? What do I say? 
So Jacob called the place Peniel. It is because I saw, the fa I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. His hip. Which New Testament, New Testament person has a, a limp or some, some ailment that he believes, Paul, that God puts in place so he would learn to trust him? Sometimes our weaknesses will be our greatest strengths. God might allow us to have weaknesses so that we have to trust him more. God's ultimate goal is our sanctification because it's best for us. So he, he's going to allow us to experience the pains and the hurts of this world and even walk with a limp. So we'll be continually reminded of his faithfulness and his goodness. The final point I want to bring up this morning is why is this good news for us? Why is the story of Jacob good news for us today, 3,500 years later? One, the Jacob account teaches us about prayer and calling on God despite our troubles and fears. And I didn't come up with this one. I actually saw this in a commentary, and it, it was just too good not to share. Old Testament scholar uh, Bruce Walkie states this. If Abraham is a study in faith, Jacob is a study in spiritual strength through prayer. The man who was prayerless and caused so much trouble, sorrow, and anguish is now transformed as he commits himself to God and prayer. Each of these encounters, he turns back to God. I mean, one thing this can just show us is it doesn't matter how broken you are, how messed up you are, turn back to God and pray. Build an altar. Trust him. Trust him with where he has you. Build 500 altars, 5,000 every day. When we take communion, that's kind of what we're doing. We're not going to take it this morning. We'll, we'll actually take it next week. But we're, we're rebuilding this altar. We're coming to Literally, they call this thing an altar. We're coming here to pray, to come before God and say, I need you, God, to transform me. So that's one thing we can learn from Jacob. Despite all the failures, when he does come, he, he, he's like, God, you're right. He might go mess up afterward, but it seems like he's getting better and better. Seems like the last time he goes to Bethel, I mean, his sons are still a mess because of all the favoritism and all the other stuff. And... The good news is, is next week, Jacob actually is the first guy in the line to, I mean, Joseph, to actually make a few right decisions. So it's, it's getting more hopeful. Now, the second thing I want us to think about when we think about why is this good for us? Why is this wrestling account? Why is the account of Jacob good for us? And I got this also from Bruce Walkie. This is gold. I mean, when I read this, I was weeping. It says, Bruce Walkie says this, the Jacob account shows us that wrestling with God is evidence of God's presence. Jacob's incredible encounter teaches us much about God's presence. First, an encounter with God may be marked with ambiguity. Jacob wrestles with a man, and only as the episode develops does he realize that he's wrestling with God. We see a similar thing happening, happening with Abraham. He meets a man and finds out he's God. Joshua, he doesn't know it's God. Gideon. But think about the, the, the men on the walk to Emmaus. They meet Jesus. They don't even know it's Jesus, and he reveals himself to them. Literally, everything in the Old Testament, God is redeeming and renewing and restoring. But we may encounter God and not even notice it. That's the one thing we can learn from this account. Second, 
God's presence does not mean ease of conflict. In fact, it often brings unexpected difficulties. Both encounters with the angels of God seemed hostile to Jacob's agenda. So sometimes when we meet God, it might be hostile to our agenda, what we think we want, because God knew what was best for Jacob. And God knew what was best for redemptive history. And God had a plan for Jacob, and he had a plan for his people. So let's be a people who pay attention and ask God to teach us, even amidst the trials, even amidst the conflicts. Third, there is a mystery about God's presence that defies human understanding. Jacob cannot see God nor know his name in order to control the situation. To be sure, God has revealed himself, but he is also often at times veiled or in the background. And this, the same thing is happening today. Sometimes God is literally revealing himself to us, but it's, it's not on the terms that we want, and we, we have to trust God and, and, and realize there's a mystery to it. God is doing something in the world, and we're a part of that, but it's, it may not always make sense. But if, we, if you pull back and you look at it in light of the resurrection, it'll all make sense. If you look at it in light of life and death and resurrection and the ascension of Christ and the coming of the Spirit and, and the faithfulness of God throughout history, it, it'll begin to make more sense. But sometimes there's a mystery and we just have to trust God in this mystery because it will define our human understanding. What does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? You know, the famous passage we memorize as kids, lean not on your understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. We memorize it. Do we live it? I don't. I try. Thank goodness for God's faithfulness, right? Um, the fourth thing, God in humility makes himself available to humanity. This is one of the, God continues to do this and ultimately he does this in Jesus. Jacob is able to wrestle the man to a draw. Jacob's remarkable encounter reminds saints that they, that they too may encounter God in ambiguity, even in apparent hostility, in mystery cloaked in darkness, and in such humility that he restrains himself from dominating their lives. When they stop wrestling with God and start clinging to him, they discover that he has been there for their good. To bless them. The divine covenant partner promises his people that he will always be with them, even as he was with Jacob during the, the foreboding night before Jacob's encounter with Esau. Now remember, this event is, is sandwiched in between him running from Laban. Him, he's got Laban on one side. He's got Esau on the other. He's, he's deceived both of them. And, and there, there's this web and there's all these kids and there's two wives and maidservants, all this stuff. He's created a mess. But through that mess, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. We get Jesus. But each of the synoptic gospels, this is from Walkie. Each of the synoptic gospels, so this is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Each of the writers draws his work to a conclusion with the scene, giving assurance that the resurrected Christ is present with his church. The scenes more geographically the scenes move geographically and chronologically from Galilee in the north of Israel to Bethany in the south, and finally to God's right hand. So one is in Matthew, one is in Luke, and then to Mark. 
On the mountain in Galilee, Christ proclaims, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He ascends from the vicinity of Bethany with his hands, which had touched lepers, which had touched lepers and healed the blind, and which are now pierced, reaching out to bless the disciples in Luke 24. After Christ assumes his seat at God's right hand, the disciples preach everywhere, and the Lord confirms his word by accompanying signs. What an amazing, I love Walt, I love this. He's showing the wrestling with God and Jacob is, is fulfilled in Christ. And even the pattern, the geographic patterns in the New Testament point back to Jacob's traveling back and forth. Jesus walks those same paths and redeems every step of them. We all wrestle with God. We all struggle. I've struggled with God reading Genesis this last two months. I've struggled with God when I look at the brokenness of the world. I've struggled with God when I want to cling to idols and not trust God's faithfulness and promises. I struggle, but I know it's not my efforts, but God's covenant faithfulness that saves me and sustains me. I struggle, but I know I can always trust God. What's my other option? Trust myself? In John 6, many people desert Jesus because they struggled with his teaching. I think we forget that to read John 6 sometimes. This is what Jesus, and this is what it says in John 6. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter, notice that John uses both of his names, his birth name and, and the name that Jesus gives him. That changed. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And sometimes that's all we can do. We can just say, God, where else would I go? You hold the words of truth. Remember, God changed Peter's name too. Peter struggled, but he met God and he trusted him. Right after this, Jesus mentions that one of you, one of the 12 is going to betray me. Judas didn't trust Jesus, but Peter did. He's an example not of making great decisions, but he's an example of turning back to Christ. It's hard to read about Jacob's life, but in many ways we're just like him. I actually was sharing this week with some Waypoint people and say, hey, Lawrence asked me to do emergency preaching. You have any insights on Jacob? And one Waypointer literally said, yeah, at first I didn't like him, but then I realized he's just like, I'm just like him. And this guy's only like 28. So <laughs> he hasn't even lived a lot of life. And he's already recognizing that, that we can be just like Jacob. We have God's love. We have God's favor. We have God's promises. But we easily stray and go our own ways. I'll repeat that. We have God's love, we have God's favor, we have God's promises, but we so easily stray and go our own ways. That's why I'm glad it's not about me, but about God's covenant faithfulness. So go ahead and name your son Jacob or Noah. Maybe not Liam, that's not in the Bible, but it's a good name. It means warrior. Go ahead and name your son Jacob 
Because Jacob reminds us that even if we try to supplant God's plans, God's covenant faithfulness to his people always prevails. The good news is that God comes to us. We can meet God. We can look back at his faithfulness in our own lives, but most importantly, we can see that the covenant promise he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob is fulfilled in Jesus. We will struggle. We will wrestle. We will try to supplant. But in our struggle, we meet Jesus. He saved us, and he will sanctify us. Do you believe Jesus came to you to save you, to change your name and your status? You are no longer an enemy. That was our old name, enemy, worse than deceiver. Imagine one of those plaques on Pinterest. Danny, enemy of God. We're no longer an enemy. Our name has been changed. We're a friend of God. We're a child of God. This is good news. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Genesis, that this is the foundational book, as hard as it is to read sometimes. Thank you that we can see your faithfulness even when people are unfaithful, God. That it's, it's about who you are and what you're doing in us and through us as your people that matters, God. May we, like Jacob, when, when we struggle, may we just turn back to you. And may we look at the resurrection and see the risen Christ and worship you, God. We need you, Jesus. May we be a church that struggles together. May we build each other up as your body. God, we trust all these things to you. And we ask that you continue to pour your spirit upon us as we live for you each day. And we live in the light of your covenant faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.